Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. Do Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China? On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden starts packing for Europe as President Zelensky prepares to address Congress. And Sarah Bloom Raskin withdraws her name from consideration. It's been a busy day in Washington. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we travel in two lanes today with the latest on the war in Ukraine and a big setback in President Biden's plans to shape the Federal Reserve. We will discuss ahead with Congressman Ami Berra, Democrat from California, as well. Scott Brown, chief economist at Raymond James, will be here and we've got our signature panel in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. As we meet here on the Ides of March, President Biden signs the budget that unlocks billions, almost $14 billion in aid for Ukraine. Also keeps our government funded. About half that money going to military hardware and support. And by every expectation, President Zelensky is about to ask for more when he addresses Congress tomorrow morning. Today, Zelensky spoke to Canada's parliament. Here he is speaking through a translator. We're not asking for much. We're asking for justice, for real support, which will help us to prevail, to defend, to save life, to save life all of the world. Zelensky describing horrible nights, to use his words, of shelling in Kiev and across Ukraine. He's likely to bring the same passion and even bigger requests tomorrow when he speaks to U.S. lawmakers virtually, including some things he may not be able to get that we've been hearing about, like a no-fly zone or the MiGs, the jets from Poland that we've been talking about now for weeks. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was already trying to get ahead of that today. Here she is. Without knowing what he's going to say tomorrow, we certainly are familiar with what the asks have been. We have provided our own assessment of what does make sense and doesn't make sense. And as we've heard until now, the MiGs, they say, don't make sense, at least according to the Pentagon, even as lawmakers clamor for them in many cases. In that same briefing at the White House today, we learned that President Biden will be taking the good word himself to Europe. We mentioned this as... A possibility, a likelihood yesterday. Now there are plans to travel next week to NATO headquarters in Brussels. Reports continue to say he could visit our Eastern European allies, possibly Poland, while he's there. That not being confirmed by the White House. Let's bring in Congressman Ami Berra, Democrat from California. The suburbs of Sacramento serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And glad to have you with us, Congressman. Welcome. What do you expect to hear from President Zelensky tomorrow? Well, Joe, thanks for having me on. You know, I think we're going to hear more of what we heard uh, about a week ago, which is, you know, he'll make the push for a no-fly zone, but I think he understands that 
that probably isn't going to happen. Yeah. I think members of Congress, um, House and Senate, are receptive to the idea of getting the, the MiGs and, and additional air support to to the Ukrainians. I think he'll make a really strong case there. And you know, often it's been Congress that's been ahead of the president. So, you know, I I, I think that'll be the the main thrust is you know continue to get him missile defense systems. You know, he'll make the the pitch for getting those Polish MiGs mm-hmm. um, in, into country. And you know, I, I think you know I, I I would be open to that. Where, so you personally would be that. You think he should basically get what he wants. The no-fly zone maybe we'll take out of this conversation for a lot of reasons right now. But with your unique view on the Foreign Affairs Committee, you think that that's a good move. You support that yourself. You know, I'd be, I'd be supportive. You know, it's the California National Guard that trains the Ukrainian armed services. And, you know, I've talked to, to our Brigadier General. They said, you know, they've trained those pilots and they are very well qualified to fly those MiGs. So. Yeah. You know, given the atrocity and you know the the fact that the the Russians are now bombing you know c- civilian sites, apartment buildings, you know it, it, this is just a travesty. I was in Kiev five weeks ago, six weeks ago, and you know this was a, a modern European city, and you know it's just um, breathtaking what Vladimir Putin, the audacity of what he's doing right now. The images have been horrifying, uh, Congressman. The president today signed the omnibus budget into law, as you well know, almost fourteen billion dollars for Ukraine. Uh, I understand, as I mentioned, about half of that money is for military support. What will it buy them? You know, we'll continue to, you know, the the, the um, shoulder rocket launchers are, are really effective. You know, we'll continue to send them the Javelin anti-tank missiles. And yep. you've seen the Ukrainians using this um, very, very effectively. And, and then just basics, artillery, um, helmets, body armor. You know, we'll continue to arm the Ukrainian military, their reserves forces, and it looks like they're arming their civilians right now. And you know, I think Vladimir Putin has to understand he can't win this war, and hopefully that opens um, the potential of a ceasefire or something. But again, you know, he might win a battle, he might take over Kiev and, and others, but he's not going to be able to hold that country. The other half of the money just signed into law is for humanitarian support, Congressman. I know. You help thousands of refugees get out of Afghanistan. What needs to be done now for the millions of people who have left Ukraine? You know, we're we're pushing the Biden administration to open up the refugee program to allow Ukrainian um, who have certainly have ties to the United States um, to to be able to immigrate as refugees to the United States. We've got a large population in Sacramento County, about eighty thousand in my district, and you know they very much you know want to help their their fellow Ukrainians yeah. um, find safety. And I think, you know, we can't just leave all of this on Poland to absorb these refugees. I think we all have to step up and accept our fair share. I think the president should visit Poland when he heads to Europe? I absolutely do. I, I'm glad the president is going to, to visit with NATO leaders. You know, um, I think his, his showing up in Poland would send a message to Vladimir Putin and, and would be a strong message. We're spending some time with Congressman Ami Berra, a Democrat from California. Uh, with the idea of more sanctions, we're, we've been hearing a lot of buzz uh, with various uh, ideas in the air, Congressman. What needs to be codified by legislation beyond what the president called for last week in stripping Russia from its most favored nation trade status? Beyond that, would you put, for instance, the aforementioned MIGs in legislative form to, to prod the administration to where you want them to be? You know, it might come to that. Right now, I think we'll, we'll continue to push the, the administration. And 
you know, hopefully they are getting, you know, equipment, you know, whether overtly or covertly um, to the Ukrainians that they can put to use immediately. Um, I do think you'll see Congress codify language, um, removing most favored um, trading status on, on the Russians. I think we'll continue to push for, you know, sanctioning the, the oligarchs. And, and yeah, I know there's been some discussion in the Senate of actually putting rewards out there for folks that can, you know, identify assets that the oligarchs have. Um, yeah. I think, you know, Senator Wyden's proposed something like that. I don't think we'd be opposed to that. And then, you know, it, being an Indian American member of Congress, being the senior Indian American, I've heard the reports that the Indians are thinking about buying Russian oil at discounted prices. You know, my message to the Indians are, you know, you're, if that's the case, you're picking a side and you're picking Vladimir Putin's side, and that would be the wrong thing to do. Um, so you, you support know, secondary sanctions? Yeah, I would. I would say that you know, as the world's largest democracy, India needs to to stand with um, the other leading democracies in the world, huh. and you know, not provide that funding which Russia des- desperately needs. It'll go straight into this war effort, and you know, that's not going to help us bring an end to this conflict. Congressman, I know you're aware of things and you're seeing images that we're never going to be privy to, uh, not for a long time, on on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Can you tell us, though, what is happening with this convoy that's been kind of stuck 15 miles north of Kiev for the last two weeks? People are wondering why it dispersed, what it's there for. Is this just disorganization on behalf of the Russians? They ran out of gas or some uh, more involved scheme? I, I think it is disorganization on behalf of the Russians. I can't go into what we've been told in a classified setting, but you know, it also is indicative of how hard the Ukrainians are, are fighting, and they've been able to take out some of some of the convoys, you know, in strategic locations. Um, I also think it talks to the morale of um, Russian soldiers who had no idea that this was going to happen. Yeah. Certainly in open sources have heard the reports that they only had three days worth of rations. And, you know, obviously this is now week three. Going so you think they're four. literally lost in the woods, Congressman? I think they are. I mean, I think this was a convoy that, you know, again, in open sources was to was really a resupply convoy and you know it's stuck and you know i i think hats off to the ukrainians they know what they're doing i know you also serve on the science space technology committee congressman should we be worried about what's going on in orbit i'm reading today being reminded of our agreement with the russians on the international space station the head of their uh, space organization their version of nasa I realize was speaking in the heat of the moment, but even suggested, you know, kind of powering down their their side of the station or, or bailing on the whole thing here. We have an American who's set to be brought back to Earth on a Soyuz by the end of this month. Is this something we need to worry about? You know, we, we probably have to make backup plans to get our astronaut off the, um, the, the space station and not rely on the Russian Soyuz, um, you know, to, to bring them back. Obviously, we've got some capabilities now with SpaceX and, yeah. and other um, vehicles. Um, I would hope that it doesn't come to that. I mean, the space station really is a symbol of what the world could be, where everyone came together, you know, former adversaries, the United States and Russia, to really you know, build something towards our future. So I hope it doesn't come to that. My God. you got Elon Musk on speed dial? Exactly. Yeah, but may, maybe we lease it to Elon Musk and he takes it to the next generation. It'd be a heck of a story, but I don't. You know, there, there is a, the real matter of this. The United States powers the space station. It's it's the Russian rockets uh, that that keep it in orbit, and we know at some point it'll be decommissioned. Uh, Congressman, do you think it happens 
earlier than planned? You know, I, I hope it doesn't. And, you know, we've actually on committee been talking about how we extend the life of the space station, which has just been this remarkable laboratory. Wow. Um, there has been discussion, you know, can you partner it with commercial entities? And, yeah. and maybe this is another example of where um, Mr. Musk comes to the rescue. Boy, yeah. Paging Elon Musk once again, although I have to admit it'll be also a pretty remarkable story to see an American and a couple of Russians come down in that rocket together in a relationship that that only explorers could have seeing beyond the politics here, Congressman. Ami Berra is a Democrat from California's 7th Congressional District and really appreciate your insights on so many topics today, Representative. Thank you. This is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We assemble the panel next. You know who. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. And we'll check traffic and markets for you to make sure you get home with everything that you need to know. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. I figure if the congressman from California does not have Elon Musk's phone number, Rick Davis must, right? He did move to Texas after all. All right, we come back down to earth now for just enough time to assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Chanzano and the aforementioned Rick Davis. 9 a.m. tomorrow, Rick, they're going to do this in the visitor center, apparently on Capitol Hill, where there's a, a big enough auditorium with a screen they can do a virtual address to a joint session of Congress. How important will be that speech in driving lawmakers to ask for the next round of whatever it might be, hardware, sanctions, anything to push the administration to do more? You know, my impression, and it's reinforced by your conversation just now with Congressman uh, Barra, is that Congress wants to do the right thing. They want to give this guy what he asked for. Uh, I think if he asked for fruit and vegetables, they'd ship it out to him tomorrow. Um <laughs> Uh, and so I think that I think that 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 he's going to have a bit of a rally, right? I mean, I think he's done this with other countries like the UK and France, and they've they it's gone extremely well. He's he's a telegenic uh, speaker, and yep. he knows how to make a speech and 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 inspire people. I think what this is really important for is the American public, 
Because as long as the American public supports this war, then the Congress people can do their bidding, right? They can help help make things happen for this administration in, in Ukraine. But if the war starts to wear on the American public, that's when the trouble starts. And so I think this is as much about the American public as it is Congress. Well, it's an important aspect to this, Jeannie, uh, that this will be provided to the TV networks, right? This will be live streamed as opposed to his more recent interactions with Congress that have been very effective, actually, gotten us this far, but they've been private. This is going to be a, a television broadcast, an international television broadcast performed by a professionally trained actor. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, and to Rick's point, I think the real audience here is the American public. And, you know, we're sort of in a new era in my mind. I I don't know that we've ever seen anything like this. You have the leader of another country going over the head of the United States president, going directly to Congress, appealing for support by way of MIGs, by way of, you know, no-fly zones, by way of whatever support he can get. He's also going to be thanking the, the United States for what they've done already. And we shouldn't forget this also to a certain extent helps President Biden because it helps him if it galvanized public opinion helps him urge the American public to put up with these high inflation, increasing interest rates, gas prices and all the rest. So, you know, this to me is sort of a new era, if you will, by a trained actor and comedian who certainly better than anybody else knows how to use this medium or a series media to communicate and has done so incredibly successfully so far. You heard him earlier, Rick. He spoke to the Canadians today. It's the Americans tomorrow. Should we see it the way Jeannie just described going over the boss's head here by going to Congress. I will say that Jen Psaki's tone today kind of sounded like a parent bracing uh, for the child to come at them with some, you know, massive request to buy them a car or something. Only imagine sort of the back channel messaging that like, look, if you don't talk about MIGs, you know, that'd be really great for us. Um, You know, but look, I mean, he's a he's he's a war president. You know, he's a leader of a country that's literally in the middle of a shooting war. Um, he's not going to be influenced by anybody other than the people on the ground who need his help. And when they say this is what we want, he's going to echo that. And so whether it's his defense minister or the grunts on the ground, he wants to deliver for those guys. And, and frankly, no president in any Western nation should think anything other than that. Um, he's, he's there for the people of the Ukraine. And, and, and Joe Biden really ought to listen to this speech. I mean, maybe maybe he's got a constituency of one because from what I can tell, it's not Congress standing in his way. It's not the yeah. American public who, you know, support these these things that, uh, you know, MIGs and other things going to Ukraine. It's just Joe Biden. And like we've seen so much in the past, uh, he seems to be leading from behind a little bit. And so maybe uh, maybe the combination of this speech and the NATO summit coming up. Uh, can uh, break loose some of these assets. White House trying to get ahead of comments just like that, uh, Jeannie, today, as you heard Jen Psaki go through the list of things that have been provided, how this country has done more than any other. They're really trying to remind people what's been done. And, of course, $14 billion was just approved in Congress. Is that the point of the trip, Jeannie? We learned today more specifically he will go to Europe next week. He will at least go to Brussels. He'll meet with our NATO allies 
at the headquarters. Is that to kind of go remind everybody about what we're doing here? I think it is. And I think it's also importantly to sort of figure out where we go forward. I think one thing that has become clear in the last couple of weeks is there is no turning back from this at this point. Whatever happens, if Russia leaves tomorrow, NATO is changed. The European Union is changed. The United States is changed. Our ally relationships are changed. And that's part of what I think they're going to be addressing at this emergency meeting that they're holding uh, on the 24th is what does this architecture look like going forward? And I would just add to what Rick was saying. There's another audience here, and that's importantly the Pentagon. The president hasn't necessarily been leading from behind. He has been listening to people who know. And I think it's important to underscore what the Pentagon has said because it's serious. The escalatory element of the planes is this. Putin has chemical and nuclear weapons. He has shown he is willing to use them if triggered. Their fear is real as much as we want to help Zelensky and Ukraine. We shouldn't ignore what the Pentagon is saying as they look at the danger of doing that. They've also said that uh, these jets wouldn't make that much of a difference in their military capability. We've heard that repeatedly, which I know runs counter to what lawmakers are saying on Capitol Hill. Just give them the jets. Give them the MiGs, as Mitt Romney said just a couple of days ago. Rick and Jeannie will be with us for the hour here on Sound On, the fastest hour in politics as we turn next to the Fed with now suddenly a blank to fill on the list of nominees. Sarah Bloom Raskin is out. We're going to talk about it with Scott Brown, chief economist at Raymond James. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, Raskin withdraws from Fed nomination after support crumbles. Big deal today, but if you listen to this broadcast, you were not surprised by the headline as we've discussed. Each day of waiting made this more likely. And that is the way you do it in Washington, right? So as to not be a distraction to the process. We'll talk about what happens next, what it means for the other nominees as well with Scott Brown, the chief economist at Raymond James. Just one day. After Senator Joe Manchin dropped the bomb on the Sarah Bloom Raskin nomination, she's out. It came down to simple math, with Republicans on the banking committee refusing to even vote no on the president's pick for vice chair of supervision. You heard the ranking member, Pat Toomey, yesterday on Bloomberg. He said he didn't know a single Republican who would vote for her. There was no other way this was going to go. Of course, there are other four other nominees now waiting for attention and a lot of questions about exactly what happens next to help us understand what happens. We're joined by Scott Brown, chief economist at Raymond James. Scott, I appreciate you being here. Do Democrats move on the other four now or wait to replace Raskin before moving forward with votes? I think they'll move on the other other four uh, because they do need to to uh, you know have the Fed chairman installed. I mean, he's acting Fed Fed chair, but um, you know it's kind of sad because uh, Raskin was uh, was very qualified, uh, and really there was no opposition from the financial service industry. Mm. Um, you know, this was uh, I mean, her great sin was that she wrote a memo uh, asking why the government should subsidize energy companies, and that was a 
a big no from the energy company. So, you know, we have the best government that money can buy, and, and that's <laughs> sadly the way it works. Wow. That Well, that's uh, that's quite a review. Uh, interesting <laughs> Interesting strategy, though, for Republicans to boycott this thing instead of going on the record and voting no. Is this going to be the new way we handle things? Well, in I Washington? think it, yeah, yeah, I think if it did get out of committee, it, um, she would have been been would have approved. Passed. Yeah, although uh, with Joe it, Manchin, it, it, maybe not. Well, you know, but you only need one or two Republican votes, and I, I think she, you know she probably would have got it if if they would have put a, a, to a vote on the floor. Yeah, that's fascinating for someone who's been confirmed already for treasury for the fed itself yeah. running into this kind of headwind unanimously so <laughs> nobody voted against her so where the administration go before. wrong on this this was supposed to be something that was doable in the wake of of joe biden's painful summer with build back better yeah you know it's just it's i think it's just a sad state of, of washington affairs these days where anything that one party is for the other party has to be against and um, I think they should really put the you know, differences aside and work for for uh, uh, improvement of the country. I, you know, You're still working on the same short list that you had before these were announced. Uh, you know, probably. I you know I don't know who who the nominee would be, but um, you know I, you, you, we're going to get some resolution on it, and the other two governors um, coming in will will. Uh, will certainly be welcome. Um, you know, we only have four governors now. Um, so having, you know, more governors is, is, is going to be better. Put obviously. this in perspective for us, uh, Scott, in terms of the remaining four. We're going to obsess over Sarah Bloom Raskin. This is brand new and, and, and it's a painful moment, I guess, for the administration. But the president promised diversity in backgrounds, diversity in opinions. It was his chance to help reshape the Fed. To what extent are these obviously Jay Powell, Lael Brainerd, not so much. But when you add the other two. It's certainly a more diverse body than it was before. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be uh, more women, uh, more uh, people of color, obviously. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that those, that's, those are welcome changes for, for the Fed leadership. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't expect uh, really much opposition. I haven't heard of a lot of opposition um, to the, the other nominees. So yeah. I think the, the real like Lisa Cook gets Raskin. a no from the ranking member, though. Pat Toomey told us yesterday that, that he's a no. Uh, so this won't be unanimous on committee. Uh, well, probably not. But, um, you know, if they get get enough, then uh, they can get it out the door and on the floor. And, and I don't think that will be a problem on the on – the, uh, on a, on a vote overall for for the Senate. Uh, is this market moving? Is this market moving news? Do investors uh, I, I, g- get worried about this to the extent that lawmakers are? Not, yeah, not not in the short term. I think um, you know one of the issues. If you think back to the financial crisis, one of the big issues was what there was really nobody watching the whole financial system, and that is now the Fed's role. Mm-hmm. And because of all the fallout of that, the Fed now has now a lot more responsibility in terms of regulation, which makes it more political in terms of the appointments. And sort of you've, you've kind of carved out that vice chair of supervision seat as being the, really the hot seat in terms of the, the regulatory uh, issues. Um, but it's going to be like this, I think, as, as, as long as we, you yeah. know, we can see out in the future. It's just uh, it, things are broken in Washington. You're the chief economist at Raymond James. What's your expectation for tomorrow? Everybody seems to agree on a quarter point, but what does Jay Powell say? Well, I think that that's sort of the key. Uh, I think the, the policy statement is going to indicate that there are more rate increases likely. Uh, and but they're going to be pretty nimble, as Powell had testified that they're going to go uh, you know one meeting at a time and, and look at all the data. 
certainly inflation has been a, a big, big issue. The Fed expects uh, to see inflation moderating this year. And if it doesn't moderate on its own, yeah. you know, the Fed's going to act to make sure it does. And I, I think the market's been a little bit nervous that they'll end up overdoing it, as they, they very often do, yeah. leading to a recession down the line. You had a war in Ukraine, and does it change your outlook or your expectation from the Fed? Well, it adds uncertainty. I think, you know, we're going to hear uh, Powell mention that in his press Mm -hmm. conference tomorrow that, um, you know, they're not quite sure what it means in terms, you know, maybe a little bit higher inflation because of supply chain issues and higher energy prices, Uh, maybe a little bit less demand, though, you know, because people may be a little bit more reluctant to go out and spend, which we need some moderation in spending, I think, going forward. Um, you know, to keep the economy more on an even track and get inflation back down. Happy Fed Day to you tomorrow. Scott Brown, Chief Economist at Raymond James. Great to have you back with us on the fastest hour in politics. We've got a big day tomorrow. Zelensky at 9 a.m. and the Federal Reserve the middle of the day. You better just take the phone off the hook. Watch and listen to Bloomberg. We'll reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are on the way back in. Traffic and markets are next. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. What do you think it's like to get the call after Sarah Bloom Raskin withdraws? Hey, I know we had that interview. Turns out didn't work out with the first one. We're going to send you to the banking committee. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Sound On as we reassemble the panel with uh, a big hole missing here now, or I guess a big hole, I should say, in the plan that the president had for the Federal Reserve. It's likely the other four will go through, certainly the big two, Powell and Brainerd. But now they need to figure out where to go from here. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano are with us here. Rick, we talked yesterday about the likelihood of this happening. Fast forward 24 hours and you've been mansioned. How long does the White House have to make up for this? Well, I think they can take their time. I mean, you know, this is they're going to shove the rest of these guys through and um, and a lot of this will be forgotten. And they've got one seat to fill. It's an important seat. And 
uh, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, they do try to do something right away. I, I would say one thing to note. This has probably as much to do with Elizabeth Warren and the Green New Deal as it does with Sarah Bloom Raskin. I mean, I think she was the victim of a significant overreach by the progressives early in this administration. And as we talked, Raskin had a you know history of being bipartisan, uh, you know, confirmed. And and I think all those things were forgotten when when she became Elizabeth Warren's candidate for this spot. Wow. Well, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Jeannie, uh, had one other candidate in mind who she actually favored, and that was Richard Cordray, the former head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, her baby. And I wonder if that means we're about to hear that name from the White House. We may. But again, and I think to Rick's point, a lot of this depends on what Joe Biden has got to do, which he's he's got to satisfy both the Elizabeth Warren and the Joe Manchins in the Senate. And that's a difficult they have very different views, obviously, on the Fed and on policy in this area. And that's the tightrope he's walking. So I think if that is somebody who can satisfy the Joe Manchins of the world, there's not a lot of them anymore. This sort of, you know, fiscally more fiscally conservative, moderate Democrats and Warren then that's a name they'll certainly consider. But it's got to satisfy both, unless, of course, they can bring over some Republicans. And that becomes increasingly tough the closer we get to the midterm election. Okay. Well, like everything, including uh, funding our COVID response programs, get ready to start hearing a lot about this. If you're inside the bubble here in Washington, you already are. This is the money, the billions that the administration requested to pay for COVID programs, everything from testing to treatments. It was a $22 billion request a couple of weeks ago. They chiseled that thing down until it was gone because of a lot of controversy over clawing back COVID money from states to help offset this. I won't get into all of it. The fact is the budget passed, the one the president signed today, without billions in COVID funding, as I read now on the terminal, just like that. White House says COVID treatments to run out without new funds. Jen Psaki went through this again today in the White House briefing, talking about each month, you know, every couple of weeks, another program is going to run out here, including, you know, the, some of the antiviral treatments that will be out by fall. Uh, there's always the potential for another variant here, Rick, and we've talked about the need for this money. But everything that we are hearing would suggest that Republicans don't want to hear about it and the, the administration will not be able to get this money passed. Is that how you see this ending? You know, it's it's kind of hard to tell. This is like a big flop in the uh, Biden administration because both Democrats and Republicans kind of pushed back on including it in the big budget. That's where it yeah. should have been. It should have gone through in that big trillion dollar spending bill. Mm -hmm. um, but now as a standalone, it's just going to be a, a political football. And the reality is, from what I can tell from the reporting on it, is that these, some of these things are these accounts are starting to run low. And they need to be recharged. And I don't think Republicans will be opposed to doing that. It's just going to have to be offset, right? I mean, like, what else are you going to not spend money on in order to get uh, the money for this? What's the answer to that, Jeannie, if you're in the White House right now and you've got all these other priorities that we've already mentioned here today? 
You know, it's a tough sell. And I think Democrats are feeling sort of rightly frustrated that the White House added this request in as what they saw as the last minute didn't push yeah. hard enough. We see the White House today, the last few days trying to push on this. You know, one thing to note is we're seeing rising cases of COVID and hospitalizations across Europe now, certainly in Asia. In the, you know, in the very recent past, that was harbinger of what was to come in the U.S. So God forbid we see more of that, you know, but the the administration is going to have a sort of an uphill battle here. I think the money is necessary, but they're really going to have to push on this and they're going to have to convince, again, moderate Democrats in the House and in the Senate that they should sign on to this because, you know, you hear from members of the House who say, listen, we did the American Rescue Plan. We gave you all this money you asked for and we're not getting anything for it from voters who seem to have forgotten about it already. White so House that's officials, part of the challenge. They held, they, they held a call today, Jeannie, uh, to, to create some urgency here it came up a bunch of times in the briefing but they said on that call a planned order of hundreds of thousands of courses of monoclonal treatments is being canceled because it doesn't have the funding uh it's not like well someday this is going to run out this is actually happening right now so far they've ordered enough of the pfizer antiviral pill for 20 million people uh, they're going to need more funding in the event that uh, people need a fourth dose if there's another booster for instance i guess the question here rick is does anyone care? You know, I think they, they will care if all of a sudden there's a resurgence and people are desperate for these treatments and they're not readily available. It, you know, we just went through this in January with testing. Right. You know, we had a resurgence and everybody wanted to get a test and no tests were available. And the government had to say, wow, we're going to plow some money into getting you tests. I got mine got like 60 days later. <laughs> say again? The administration got crushed for that. I mean, this is we've seen this movie before. Right. And that's my point is any resurgence is going to bring that right back home. And no one's going to care that Congress didn't like the way it was being spent. Uh, Biden's administration will, will take the lumps for that. Get ready to hear a lot of stories about this tomorrow. This is something that they're pushing out of the White House as we speak. Uh, the other thing they're busy on is Judge Jackson. And this isn't getting a lot of talk because there's so many other stuff happening, so many plates in the air. But less than a week from now, the confirmation hearings begin for a Supreme Court nominee, Jeannie. It's a big deal. How is the White House preparing itself and Judge Jackson herself for what could be some bumpy days next week. You know, it is stunning. As you said, normally this would be the news of the month, if not the year. Right. And yet, of course, we hear very little about this. She's been going through these series of meetings on Capitol Hill, um, you know, to all the various Senate offices. It, you know, I, I do think in some ways the less sunlight on this, the better for the White House. She's a very strong nominee. There's no question about that. But I do think that these have been so heated recently that there's not as much focus on it. So it may not be quite as heated. And also, of course, her nomination doesn't change the makeup of the Supreme Court necessarily. Yeah. But, you know, I think that the White House has to be given credit for how they have moved through all of their judicial nominations heretofore. And she seems to be no exception. They have a very strong track record. She's got a good Sherpa guiding her through the process. I think she will face tough questions. But I, I you know, I think it's... It's going to come down to, you know, basically a party vote and she may get, you know, yeah. one or two supporters from the Republican yeah. side. Probably not much more. Rick, you know what it's like to prepare politicians for a debate. Is this a lot different? How would the White House be preparing Judge Jackson right now? 
Oh, it, 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 it's a classic. Um, you know, don't take anything personally. Uh, hmm. You know, uh, don't don't get into any policy questions. Don't talk about what you would do in the future. I mean, <laughs> she will have such a narrow band to respond wow. to any of these questions. And, and the reality is the senators don't even care what her responses are. <laughs> They're going to their questions are going to be, you know, targeted toward voters and making a point. And so I think it's a it's a lot of drama. And we'll take it really seriously because it is important. But they'll be talking past each other pretty regularly. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, our panel here, our signature panel on Sound On with the best political talk on the radio and in podcasting. If you're not subscribed, do something about it. We thank you both. March is Women's History Month. Every day this month, we're celebrating it with Renita Young. Here's today's installation with Renita. On this day in women's history in 1946, former First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt is appointed U.S. Representative to the United Nations. President Harry Truman appointed her. Roosevelt contributed greatly to U.N. policymaking, serving as chair of the Human Rights Commission. She was the only woman serving on the six-person delegation that would eventually produce the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in December 1948. Now, because of Roosevelt's massive contributions to international human rights and law, President Truman would later call her the first lady of the world. Roosevelt served in this position until 1952. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young. Bloomberg Radio. All right, Renita, we thank you. We'll get another installment at this time tomorrow, and we'll meet you back here on what's going to be a big day in Washington. We've got you set up tonight. I think you'll sound smart at the cocktail parties tonight. Tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, the Zelensky speech to Congress, and then, of course, afternoon time special coverage here on Bloomberg on what's going to be a pivotal Fed day. We'll cover it all here on Sound On a bit later on Bloomberg Radio. We'll be talking with Congressman French Hill and Congressman Jake Auchincloss about the news of the day and making news right here. We'll see you back. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.